Hello everyone, it's March 5th, 2019. This week it's our 200th episode, quite the achievement. But the real milestone, of course, we are one step closer to people riding dragons. Move over Daenerys, make room for Ripley, and let's hope eventually someone who's not fictional, and lift off. And we have cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 200 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So we have arrived at 200. Happy, happy 200. And all three of us are sober. This is insane. Yeah. <laughs> Damn morning recordings. Although that's no excuse. Mimosas exist. Bloody Marys exist. Yeah. Micheladas. I haven't even had coffee this morning. <laughs> oh, oh, I had boy. coffee. See, I would have to have coffee first and then I guess get drunk, but that's not a good combination, right? I mean, yeah, you can do it, but... Depends on your definition of good. Right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's not my thing. Yeah, I was going to say, a, like, a spiked uh, coffee is good for, like, dessert after dinner, not so much a morning thing. A spiked coffee? So is that, like, a slightly more sophisticated version of, like, a, what is it, like, vodka and Red Bull or something? Like, the same <laughs> yeah. effect? Right. Well, I mean, like Bailey's or uh, Amaretto or something or an Irish coffee, right? Yeah. This is our, what do you call it? Is it a bicentennial? <laughs> but not a centennial because that would right. be 200 years. Bicentennial. What, what kind of, uh, yeah, what kind of jubilee thing is it? Because this is my 25th episode with you guys. So I got to type. Oh, oh, oh you well. mean like biblical jubilee? <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So this is this is your oh I guess centenary and my silver jubilee. Yeah, except that it's not years; it's just episodes. So right. what's the, <laughs> what is Latin for episode? It, it might be episode. I don't know. Sounds like a Latin word. Bicentepisodial. Sounds like you just drank two hundred sodas. My Latin's a little rusty. So I guess let's not rest on our laurels or whatever it is people say. <laughs> just move on to this <laughs> spaceflight history. So we have looks like just one winner this week. Yeah, and uh, technically, so our winner is Law Loving, and technically he didn't guess the event for this week, but he came up with an alternate that's cl- so close and so awesome anyway. Uh, that I decided to give him credit. So the clue for this week was Barnstormer. And this week in Space Fight History is the 5th of March, 1931. It was the birth of Jerry Cobb, or at least that's the official one that I came up with. We'll talk about La Lovings later. So uh, Jerry Cobb was one of the Mercury 13. Um, we've already talked about the Mercury 13, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. I just want to talk about Jerry Cobb's list of accomplishments because holy cow, is she awesome. She first flew an airplane at the age of 12. By the age of 16, she was barnstorming, dropping leaflets for like circuses as they traveled across the Midwest. She had her commercial pilot's license by age 18. By 21, she was working for the military, delivering military fighters and bombers overseas. Like that's how she was such a good pilot that at 21, the military's like, yeah, you can just go deliver these airplanes for us. I feel like I've accomplished some things in my life, but now I'm starting to feel a little insecure. Oh oh boy, it's going to get worse. (laughs) By age Age 28, she was an executive at Aero Commander, the the airplane manufacturer, an executive. By age 29, she had 7,000 hours of flying time. And she holds a bunch of records, but here are a couple. In 1959, she set the world record for lo- for nonstop long-distance flight. In 1959, she also set the world light plane speed record. In 1960, she set the world altitude record for lightweight aircraft. She flew at 37,000 feet. 37 thousand ten feet uh, in a lightweight aircraft by 1961 she was a consultant to nasa and then of course she was a critical part of of the mercury 13 um in fact out of all mercury candidates right so the mercury 13 were the was a civilian program trying to tell nasa hey get your head out of your ass and hire women to go into space um but out of them all of the mercury candidates of 
all genders, she was in the top 2% as far as test results. She met all but one of the Mercury requirements. She didn't have a jet qualification, but you know, 7,000 hours of flying time, I figure getting qualified to fly a jet isn't that big of a deal. Also, this is a little salty, but let's point out that John Glenn didn't meet the science degree requirement. And by the way, he was almost pushing the under 30 requirement anyway. So, you know, if they can bend some rules for John Glenn, they could have bent some rules for Jerry Cobb. She should have been in space. So was the requirement that you had to be under 30? Uh, under 40. I may well have said 30 and I'm just an idiot. But yeah, it's under, under 40. So La Loving's uh, guess was in March, I couldn't find a date, but in March of 1931, Ruth Roland Nichols set the woman's world altitude record at 28,700 43 feet, uh, which is 8,760 meters. So why this is also awesome is because Ruth Nichols was also part of the Mercury 13. And not only was she part of the 13, get this, Ruth Nichols was born in 1901. She failed out of the Mercury 13 program in 1959. She was 58 <laughs> years old and she was competing to be an astronaut. She also has a, a huge list of accomplishments. Here are just a few. In January 1928, she co-piloted the first nonstop flight from New York City to Miami. In December 1930, she beat Charles Lindbergh's record time for a cross-country flight, completing the trip in 13 hours, 21 minutes. In 1958, she co-piloted a TF-102A Delta Dagger and reached 1,000 miles per hour, 1,600 kilometers per hour at an altitude of 51,000 feet or 15,500 uh, 15, meters. By the time she died, she had literally flown every type of airplane ever invented, including an autogyro, which is barely even mm -hmm. an airplane, but she flew right. it. Uh, she flew gliders. I mean, like, you name it, she's flown it. And I have to mention her death. Um, so she failed out of Mercury 13 in 1959. The next year in 1960, she committed suicide. She was incredibly profoundly depressed uh, and i don't think that that began with failing out of the mercury 13 i think this is something that she struggled with her entire life and you know there are so many people who lose the battle with suicide but just because you have chronic depression doesn't mean you can't be a badass like ruth nichols she's so so amazing so that's that's why i decided to give law loving credit because it fits perfectly uh she ruth nichols was a barnstormer just like jerry cobb uh the date matches so I, i'm good with it cool and so now i know what barnstorming is i mean is that what a barnstormer is i didn't know yeah. what that term meant yeah that was that kind of like yeah just the old-timey flying these small kind of planes and either what crop dust does crop dusting count as a type of barnstorming uh i don't know i think <laughs> barnstorming like refers to like performances in barns okay. i know in cartoons they always depict uh barnstormers as flying through barns but i don't think that's i think that's what actually happened <laughs> so this is like a little twofer i know right i guess one answer is just as good as the other so yeah. um mm -hmm. doesn't happen very often that i'm okay yeah. with that. all right well then uh, what is our clue for next week i did not do one i'm taking this week off it's the there 200th episode. I can do that. <laughs> I suppose the listeners have earned it as well. They don't have to rack their brains on it. <laughs> so I guess don't bother tweeting with the hashtag this week SF. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously, demo one, DM one, 
it all went well. That was great. Did you watch the launch? Oh, heck no. No, I was a, I, I was, was well asleep by that time. I was actually out and about at that point too, so I missed it. <laughs> oh, so you could have watched it because you, you were awake. I didn't see it either, but um, I watched it just a couple hours later. I got up pretty early. But in a way, it was awesome to watch. But in a good way, it was very... Mm-hmm. rather uneventful because everything went well there were no hiccups because i think i was expecting maybe just like you know a delay due to something you know straight right. boat as usual mm-hmm. but no that didn't happen i've seen yeah some some tongue-in-cheek references to spacex the best compliment you could give them is how boring they're making launches nowadays yeah that's true <laughs> I completely agree with that. All right. So, Dennis, you have a little timeline about, I guess, how this all began, which was back in 2011, which was the end of a different era and the right. beginning of this one. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, for completeness, I'm sure we're all, you know, familiar as our listeners, but just right. Shuttle was, you know, done in 2011. And at that point, commercial crew was already being developed, the concept, and then uh, even the year before then. And uh, Dragon in particular has been bringing cargo uh, to the space station since 2012. And so it's really been the kind of disruption of bringing astronauts, launching them from American soil to the space station. And so since then, right, we've been using Soyuz. And that's kind of why this is such a big step Mm, in that direction, right? This is, you know, Demo 1 and Demo 2 is going to actually be plopping human beings on there. So we had the uh, launch late Friday night or early Saturday morning, depending on your time zone. But yeah... And the passengers, plural, because mm-hmm. there was Ripley who seems to be getting all the love, fully kitted out with sensors. And I mean, there's a reason for that, uh, not just the attention. So this is kind of, uh, they actually have a great name. They keep referring to it in the more technical kind of articles as like an anthropomorphic test, you know, element or something like that. I don't know exactly what they call it. So Ripley's a dummy, just like Starman, uh, named after, of course, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character in uh, Alien, uh, the original. There was actually, you know, some science being done there, or at least, you know, I guess, diagnostic testing where Ripley was fully kitted out head to toe seemingly with sensors to see kind of what the effects of the launch were on there. So when we actually do have crew on there, we can kind of get a better idea of characterizing the forces they're subjected to. And then uh, the second passenger, of course, was the little globe buddy. Oh, and actually, before I mention that, um, remember, if you want to look as badass as Ripley did, remember, you can get your hoodie. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> your SpaceX hoodie, which, again, it's got that very nice, subtle, you know, white with black patches. And if you're not a hoodie person like David, you can actually take the hood off and have a nice jacket. Yeah. Yes. See, see the show notes for episode 199, because we link to it. Yeah, I do got to get one. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. And so uh, uh, sitting there along uh, with Ripley was the little globe buddy who was just a plush earth globe with little tiny arms and uh, legs and was kind of there for the whole time. And as far as I can tell, is still kind of sitting in the module, <laughs> in yeah. the dragon module. Yeah. So so there's this history of, of putting little plush uh, stuffed animals inside of space capsules as a gravity indicator. Um, I have to go back in history and indicate that my favorite was Garafity the giraffe, which flew on a Soyuz. <laughs> it was a little little giraffe named Garafity. I have I didn't see Garafity. I got to look that up now. Anyway, so this little uh, plush Earth was made by CelestialBuddies.com, um, which is a really cool little website where they sell um, little pla- you know stuffed planets. And what's really cool is. They had no idea that this was happening. 
but like 48 hours before the flight yeah 48 hours before the flight they started seeing sales spike of mm-hmm. this little earth guy <laughs> and they're like what the heck is going on like where are we trending on the internet that all these people are buying it well once they saw the launch of course they realized what happened and shortly after the launch they sold out in fact they are this is the first time they've ever been back ordered because uh, they're a, just a tiny little shop and yeah. uh, not only are they backordered, but they're backordered until April, which is the soonest that they can get their next order in. And so uh, if you go to their website, CelestialBuddies.com, they uh, have a little story talking about what happened. And they also link you to um, another model called Our Precious Planet, which is a little bigger and has got higher fidelity consonants on it. And yeah, I... If I would have known, I would definitely would have bought one of these guys because they're pretty awesome. So on the website, there is, you know, they have little uh, plush versions of all the planets and some comets and things like that. I don't know if you've seen Mars, and I don't know why Mars is different, but it has hair, which is, and it's like actually pretty cute looking. I don't know if you've, (laughs) let me just go ahead and check that one out. Yeah, it's got a, yeah, a little fuzzy polar cap. I guess that's a polar cap, but that is, uh, that is a very adorable looking little Mars. Like that's my favorite one here. Maybe they're not sold out of those, but they probably are. No, no, no. I think, I think it's just the Earths that they're that they're sold out of well i think i've got a little secret here so i'm familiar with these guys because kit peak has pretty much all of them in their gift shop oh that's fantastic so is there an earth there was an earth last time i was there but um, (laughs) unfortunately my field trip isn't until april where i'm taking the students and so i don't unless i make a special trip up there uh i Uh, that'll be funny i'll see if it's uh been sold out and give you guys an update uh yeah so i mean i you know, this is totally free advertising, but they, they also have a black hole model, which is um, like a mm-hmm. bag with a, a drawstring mouth so you can put <laughs> things inside of it. Kind of looks like the cookie monster, but black or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I just I love nerds. They're so good. Um, and then the next bullet point that you have on here, Dennis, is uh, the landing went well. Not only did the landing go well, but we got really good footage of it live, like really good footage. I don't think I've seen this good footage from a landing so far. At least not a ASDS landing. One interesting point brought up by Musk during the post-conference interview was how concerned he was about reentry, um, <laughs> uh, and he had noted that you know the Super Dracos make the back shell well not smooth, and so this could actually cause roll instability. Although he said that that's very unlikely that they've done thousands of simulations and it's probably not going to happen, but that's what he's most concerned about. That and a few other things having to do with reentry, um, such as parachute deployment um, and making sure that it lands exactly where it should. I had not considered that this is probably, I think I think this is the first spacecraft of this type that is not quite of this type in that it does not have that smooth conic shape. It's got the little chunks coming out of it, yeah. Yeah, so who can say how that's going to perform? I think it'll be fine, though. Yeah, right. I mean, if they... Look, I'm sure they've done their best to characterize this to all hell in the simulations and so. But it, that seems to be part of the bigger theme that the launch was kind of the easy step. Yeah. <laughs> and then the docking and the reentry are kind of the ones that everyone's really holding their breath and so. Yeah. And then there was a question brought up by Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut. Um, he always asks good questions. And he asked about that whole grid finstall issue that was, I guess, a month or two ago mm-hmm. where they did not land successfully because of a stall in the hydraulics of the grid fin. And I do remember, you know, we had actually talked quite a bit on the show about how or 
forward, even if they're going to fix this. And Ben, I think you were saying that, you know, it's not an actual failure or that, you know, it's an acceptable risk. And so the thing performed as it should have. And I was like, well, I'm not sure, but I don't know what they can do. And then, of course, there was this block freeze. And so they can't make any changes. But as it turns out, they actually can. They just have to, you know, bring it by NASA first. And since it was such a small change, they just had to replace a very small relief valve. That fixed the issue. So, okay. I remember hearing talk at that point, right? Wasn't the idea to add a little, I guess what you're saying is that making the system redundant is too much work to be worth it. I think that that's what what Ben was saying. Yeah. But as it turns out, you know, they don't need to do that. They just need Mm -hmm. to fix this little valve. Uh, So that was the cause of it because it was causing some sort of a weird stall zone in a certain period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly, but uh, they just needed a relief valve to fix it. So yeah, these freezes aren't actually absolute. You can actually make small changes. You just got to bring it by the NASA engineers and, you know, see if they're okay with it. And then you can go ahead and make the change. I thought that was kind of cool. The other big concern for Elon was docking. But as we recorded this, that went just fine. And I did see some of this live. I actually got onto YouTube about two minutes before the hatch opening. So oh, cool. I did manage to wow, see that. nice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see anything else, but I saw that part. That was pretty cool. And I know better, and I don't know why it fooled me, but they showed on the left side of the screen the interior of the dragon, and I was waiting for the hatch that I could see to open, but it wasn't <laughs> that one. That's actually just the egress hatch. That is not an actual docking port of any type as far as I know. So mm-hmm. yeah, they had to come in through the nose, which I knew, you know, but you know, it just kind of fools you sometimes. <laughs> you're just waiting for that hatch because they have the camera trained on it, and you're waiting for it to open. And then I see some legs come down from the top of the screen. So you got bamboozled. Yep. So so yeah, this went in for a went in for a soft capture first, and then the station pulls it in for the hard capture, and that went well. So yeah, I thought I I, I hadn't realized that um at least some of the reporting I had seen from Ars Technica that the uh, Russians uh, Kononenko in particular was instructed to stay on their orbital segment just in case uh, there was an emergency and it mm-hmm. kind of bumped in a little too hard or something going on so that they can go then hide in the Soyuz and basically get ready to escape if needed. But that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you really have to trust the self-driving spacecraft in this case. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, I mean, like, to be clear, progress does the exact same thing. Like, progress is mm-hmm. the same level of automation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is um, the so first time for yeah, this one. Like, don't don't email us. We know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's more of the the first time that this particular craft is docking. Not so much that we're doing autonomous docking. Uh, okay. So real quick, let's talk about the IDA, the International Docking Adapter. I love docking systems. What I need to do sometime is just get to the point where I can model these things in the computer because I can do a little bit of a little bit of modeling. I don't think I can model. Uh, something this complex, but I would love to 3D print some different docking adapters, like ones that you can actually Mm. click together. So if you think about the way that Station and Dragon actually dock together, there are two adapters in the middle, which is kind of like taking a PS2 or a serial to PS2 connector and then a PS2 to USB adapter to be able to plug a thumb drive into your computer, mm-hmm. or I guess a USB mouse into your computer with a serial port. Station itself has got these giant berthing ports that are huge, right? Like we're probably never going to see, at least in the near future, we're not going to see a spacecraft with a docking ring that's as big, right? I mean, they're huge. And then uh, the... Pressurized mating adapter goes down to what? PSAS 95? PSAS 89? I don't remember. Probably 95. Um, And then there's the IDA on top, which goes from the PSAS to the uh, international docking standard or whatever they call it. But 
um, chat's asking about passive versus active. And yes, it's an androgynous system. So either side can be active or passive. But the tradition, I believe, is to have the spacecraft be active. Oh, APAS. I'm sorry, not uh, PSAS. APAS. Yes, sorry. But the, the way that we normally do things is, yeah, the spacecraft is active and the station is passive. And I, I don't know exactly why they do that, because you think it it probably... Uh, be more or less the same. But I think the reason that you want the spacecraft to be active is because it's the one that's moving around more. And so you want the passive adapter to just kind of be still and stay there and let put all the movement into one component so that, you know, you have better knowledge of the system. One thing I wanted to point out before we move on is that the international docking adapter has got the coolest visual alignment pin I've ever seen. I'd never, I hadn't seen this before. At least I, I didn't remember it. So, oh, there we go. Same in the chat says it also potentially allows docking with a dead station a la Salyut 7. It's a good point. So it, it's long been tradition to have visual alignment pins, which is basically a round target with a pin sticking straight out of the middle so that if you aren't aligned, you can see that the pin doesn't point straight at your face, right? And usually it's just a pin with a ball on the end, but the Ida visual docking alignment has got uh, a pin that comes out and then a cross on the end of the pin so that the arms of the cross reach uh, left, right, up and down, and they point at uh, like delineators, um, which they look like uh, barcodes or um, you know pedestrian crosswalks or whatever. But you can not only see that you're off alignment but you can also estimate how far off alignment you are by counting the number of stripes down that you go or you know left or right or whatever so uh i thought it was really a great design i think it looks really beautiful i want to build one i want a model of that on my wall because it looks so good you want to model everything i would say so <laughs> i'm not gonna argue let's talk a little bit about the ingress so they came in uh the two astronauts david saint jacques and oleg kananyenko with these masks and that was mm -hmm. because there was a possibility of a freon leak in the right. spacecraft and that's because apparently it used is Freon in its cooling system. I understand that the actual sensors that they needed was being sent up with a Dragon, so they had to unpack that first and take some measurements of the air. I'm a little bit surprised that they couldn't just build that into the Dragon spacecraft and then, you know, send that data to them before they ever open the hatch. Uh, mm -hmm. But apparently this was just easier because you want to have your own separate equipment to make right. the measurements. It may be just safer too, right? That you make sure that you're not getting just a reading error coming from Dragon. Yet. Yep, exactly. But I kind of wonder now how how other spacecraft keep everything cool if they're not using Freon because um, it's just another coolant. So what kinds of coolants do other spacecraft use? Maybe because in other situations you actually you have the people in there already. You know what I mean? And so they can kind of monitor the atmosphere of the capsule. And so because you're doing this remotely and because Dragon is not able to kind of transmit their results to station, that's why it was kind of more of an issue for this. Yeah. That's my guess. Sounds plausible. <laughs> um, I guess about a half hour after they had opened the hatch, they had proceeded to mix the atmospheres. So they just turn on these big fans um, and they kind of, you know, swap atmosphere. And I can only imagine that on board the Dragon, it smelled much better. So they were probably happy. 
to get some fresh air. Oh, it smells like plushy in here. You know, it probably actually does. <laughs> I don't know. I bet I bet you the inside of the dragon smells like the inside of a new car. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a little spritz spritz before they closed the hatch, because that's the kind of attention to detail that SpaceX is known for. Probably has that new Tesla smell. <laughs> Your little pine cone. I don't know. I was uh, very pleased to wake up and watch a bunch of SpaceX videos. Spaceflight has been kind to us for our 200th episode. This is like our own little reward for doing 200 right. episodes. Is that, <laughs> we get to, is that we get to see not quite the culmination of everything SpaceX has been working toward, but it's definitely getting there. And that's something that Elon said in the interview. The whole point is to put people in space, really. And I guess to put people on Mars, ultimately. And he said that so far it's been like 17 years and they still haven't done it yet but uh, now they are within spitting distance i don't think it can be overstated how important it is to accomplish this because spacex wants to be doing more than just delivering cargo time to do short and sweet and dennis what is our first one spaceport america hopes to see crude virgin galactic space flights New Mexico's Spaceport America hopes to be the site for a human to be launched in space this year. Since a decade ago, the focus of the spaceport has shifted from space tourism to small satellite launches, for which it is now asking the local government for $60 million to improve facilities. However, as the home of commercial operations for Virgin Galactic, the spaceport's CEO Dan Hicks thinks that given the British company's two successful crewed flights so far, the chances are high that they will fly humans from New Mexico before the end of 2019. And next up, Mars Lander Insight encounters trouble while preparing to dig. One of the two main instruments aboard the NASA Lander Insight is a heat probe that will dig up to 5 meters or 16 feet into the Martian surface. However, recent commands for the planned deployment for the probe did not make it to the lander for, quote, yet unknown technical reasons. While so far this has only resulted in a delay, mission engineers are looking out for other potential problems, including striking impenetrable rocks, which would require finding a new digging site. Uh, and last, an update on the Barasheet lander. Though the launch of Space IL's lunar lander went off without a hitch, a few issues have been encountered and overcome. First, the Star Trekkers on board are having issues getting blinded by the sun in orientations where a sun shield should protect the camera. Next, uh, the second orbit raising burn was aborted after the computer unexpectedly reset itself. Uh, Space IL has yet to announce a cause for that abort, but I've said that the vehicle is in good health now. Well, I'm glad it's in good health. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. I remember reading that it had that issue, and I got a little worried. Yeah, what worries me, I mean, almost more than the computer is those sun shields, because potentially they lost their sun shields is what happened, which uh, you don't want to lose parts of your spacecraft. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it. Questions, comments, and correction burns, and we have a legit correction this week. I, don't, I feel like we haven't had one in a couple episodes. So. Yeah, and it's a small one, but it's a good one. Yeah, so this is about uh, last week's episode on hypergolics, and I believe that Erin, at some point, she mentioned how, I guess, currently intercontinental ballistic missiles use hypergolics, but apparently that is not the case. Anymore. Anymore, right, and I think that's the key thing. So we got a correction from Ben Hallert about the hypergolics, and apparently they use solid fuels. Yeah. Erin uh, wasn't like super specific about time frame. She just said, you know, uh, ICBMs use hypergolics for this reason and, and didn't really specify a time frame. So it's it's good to to elaborate a little bit here. So thanks for that correction. And then uh, next up, we have the RPG night. So what's the update on that? Uh, no update, just a reminder. Uh, it's happening. It's still on schedule. This, Friday, this March Friday. 8th. Yeah, Friday, March 8th, 7 p.m. Pacific, 
10 p.m. Eastern, log into Patreon. There's a link uh, which will get you into our Discord. And we'll start there, and then we'll hand out uh, Roll20 links. And there's also a rule sheet which you can read and think about your character. Again, you don't need any experience for this. It's going to be real easy. And then the model giveaway. So Yay! So here's the fun Ooh. thing that we've been teasing for, like, five weeks. For episode 100, we did a Falcon 9 first stage model that was, like, four feet tall. This time we're doing something a little less grandiose, but still pretty cool. It is a Falcon Heavy model. It's 3D printed. It's all white. It is low poly, so there are lots of facets that are visible instead of smooth curves. Um, the models I stole off of Thingiverse because they look really good. And then um, I printed the plume. There's a big rocket plume on the bottom, or the exhaust plume. I printed that. I 3D printed it hollow. And I'm shoving some LEDs inside of it um, with a little microcontroller. So it flickers and looks like there's rocket exhaust flickering down. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I'll probably put a link in the show notes to a little video. And then the whole thing sits on a wood base that's hexagonal to kind of match the low poly feel. But it's uh, it co contrasts in that it's uh, unfinished uh, redwood that's uh, like reclaimed wood. So it's kind of rugged. I think altogether it works really well. The handmade aspect with the three. 3D printed aspect. Anyway, so I made five of them. When we did the Falcon 9 uh, model, we we commissioned four of them, one for me, one for David, and two to give away. This time I made five of these guys, one for me, one for David, one for Dennis, and then we're going to give away two of them. Oh, Dennis, you just yeah. gasped. Did you not know that I was giving you one of these? I did not know that at all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought we talked about this. Yes, I'm definitely sending you one. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It is an amazing amazing model <laughs> i really gotta just say i that. cannot take credit for anything but the code and the electronics <laughs> and speaking of the electronics this thing's totally hackable all you have to do is plug in a usb a micro usb cable plug it into your computer it'll show up as a thumb drive windows mac whatever there's a file on there that's a python file you just open open up the python and you can edit it to your heart's content. You just save it and it automatically restarts the microcontroller. It's really, really, really cool. And you've got 28 LEDs to play with. I think I'm going to use it as not like a nightlight, but you know what I mean? Something at night just to look yeah. pretty. It's bright enough to look good in a fully lit room. And so like David, if you wanted, I could add a script where it pays attention to what time you plug it in and it'll stay on for eight hours and then turn off for the next 16 hours and then turn on for eight hours again something like that so if you wanted to use it as a nightlight it could cycle on and off there are extra pins on the microcontrollers that are available so if you want to like add a speaker uh, that's something that you could do you know you'd have to add a, a driver because this thing can't drive a speaker but you could do something like that there's five volt and three volt power available in the electronics so you could hook something up you could even if you have a five volt or a 3.3 volt sensor you could add that and maybe like do a motion sensor if you want to hack it if you don't want to hack it you don't have to you can do you can just let it sit there it looks pretty <laughs> you plug it in the wall and let it go um so with all that said let's go ahead and pick some winners um so i grabbed a list of all of our patreon supporters last time um we gave out tickets if you had a, a larger lifetime contribution you'd get more tickets and if you had a smaller lifetime contribution you'd get fewer tickets this time i th i thought it'd be nice to just do a straight random 
selection. Um, so I went through, I made sure that there wasn't anybody because I've had to block people on Patreon where they put in payment information, like I think like a prepaid debit card and then drain the debit card. But I went and pulled out any anybody like that. Um, so these are all of our supporters. Uh, and I've dropped them into random.org and the list randomizer. I'm just going to hit randomize and pick the top two names. Does that sound like a good idea? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. I'm going to click randomize. Uh, first is Troy Welfing. He's disqualified because he we paid him to make our, <laughs> our models last year. <laughs> so, so sorry, Troy. Uh, he doesn't mind. Uh, he already helped me with this already. Um, so our first winner is Roshin Clear. And our, our second winner is Li Yuan He. Who I believe is in China. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to ship this to China. I mean, I'll pay for it if I can. The backup is James Sutherland. So if if either the, one of those two people drop out, uh, James, you'll be our backup. <laughs> I'll save this list and we can we can step down it if need be. Uh, but congratulations. I You will already have gotten an email from me and we will try to get these out to you. So thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We seriously couldn't do it without you. Congratulations. Congratulations to the winners and now... Now let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events. So just one launch, and that is a Long March 3BE, and that's launching Zhongxing 6C, which is or ChinaSat 6C, um, and it is a high throughput KA band communication satellite, and will be positioned at 130 degrees east, and that's launching on March 9th at 1630 UTC, and that has a one hour launch window, so 1630 UTC through 1730. UTC from Launch Complex 2 in Xichang Satellite Launch Center. So keep an eye on that. Don't know if you can really watch it, but there it is. And then, as mentioned, we also have the Crew Dragon coming back down. So this is Friday, March 8th, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. So I guess it's also March 7th for some people. Uh, 2 a.m. Eastern Time is the undocking. Coverage begins at 2 a.m. The undocking is scheduled at 2.30. And then 7.30 is when they begin coverage of the deorbit burn and splashdown. The deorbit burn is scheduled at 7.50 a.m. Eastern Time. And splashdown is scheduled at 8.45 a.m. Eastern Time. And I will definitely be trying to watch that. I don't see why I can't watch that one live. <laughs> don't have much of an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Those are your upcoming spaceflight events. So that was your 200th episode. So Yay. thanks for joining us. And with that, let's uh, let's do over the show. And we'd like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show too, please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit theorbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign pain, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com and be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about this show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We're Orbital Podcast on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. So that's it, and we will see you next time on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See you.